I didn't feel I was able to sell to a client of mine that piece with that frame. I didn't feel confident in it. I can't sell a painting if I don't really believe in it. That's why I always buy my own paintings. When I buy it, I really believe it. That means I buy it for myself. And then I can explain to you why I bought it. And then I can transfer my feeling to you as a buyer. Today's episode, we intertwine creativity and business from the fascinating point of view of an art dealer. We explore the selling of art and the art of selling and how taking risks and staying close to your values can be a trampoline for your success. Are you ready to crack the subconscious code? Let's start. Today's guest is Samuel van Hoogarden Gallery, the top-renowned art gallery in elite location Knokke, Belgium, with yearly exhibition at Brafa Art Fair in Brussels, and past regular exhibitions at La Fiac in Paris, and Masterpiece in London. Thanks for being here, Samuel. Great to have you with us. Pleasure, pleasure. You started dealing very young, in your early 20s, Yes. Without previous experience in the art business. So how did you come to the idea of going into this industry of having your own gallery of dealing? I first had an economic degree. Then my idea was to start to work in the art business because it's something I liked very much. And uh, my family-in-law was working in the art business. That's how I got involved in that profession. So I did, I did a study at Christie's uh, art, art History. And I think also it's a little bit business-wise because you follow the options. And I did one year at Christie's in, in New York. And then uh, when I came back to Belgium, I started my own gallery. Yeah, no, once I had my degree, my economic degree, the father of my previous wife, she told me like, what are you going to do now? You're going to work in a bank? And I saw my father, was, he's an accountant, and he was working from the morning early until late in the evening. And, and when I compared that to the life of my father-in-law, he had a fantastic life. He was traveling around. He was meeting inter interesting people. He came home with beautiful paintings and, and fantastic stories. And uh, he had a much, much richer, not only financially, but on every stage, every level, to even, even if it was for earning half of it, I wanted to be in the art business because th that life, that world looked much more appealing to me. Okay, so it was, your decision was more conditioned by what you saw, the package around the business. Yeah, it was everything. I mean, I, I must admit that I, I, I wasn't that interested in art before my 20s. It came after that and it came through my family-in-law that I, was, I got interested in it. But it was an, a, a chance that they gave me and that I, you know, you get different chances in life when you're young. And then I wanted to take that chance and to go in, in the arts business and to see what was possible without really knowing that it would work and without really thinking it would be successful. It was really something I started not as a game, but as something that, you know, could end as well. In the beginning, you used more something um, that you're not sure of. And then after a few years, you start to 
to see that it's really working and that you really have uh, chosen a path in life that you will continue. But in the beginning, you don't, you're not sure about that. But you also didn't start under the wing of your father-in-law back then, right? You started with Prince on your own. Yes, I started on my own. He, he told me he would be there, but he wasn't there. Once I started, he said, okay, I asked, what should I do? And, you know, the thing is, there is no storybook. There is no uh, study for art dealer. It's something you have to do on your own, with your own strengths and with your own weaknesses. And you have to find your own way, also your own choices. Uh, and tasty paintings, how you talk to people. I don't explain to my kids how to do it. You can give them a base, a basic uh, start, but afterwards it's it's all up to them. So I, I wasn't under his wings. The only thing he did was the the first three years of business. I it, I didn't make enough money every year to support myself and my family. At the end, he had to to make an, one or two deals to make it work. And after three years, I could on my own. Interesting. So you mentioned the development of your own style in painting and in, in the art that you are dealing. If you look back and you were to draw a line, how would you describe how it developed into what you're dealing now? It changed completely. What is strange, there's a few, few artists that stayed, but many artists in the beginning that I thought were very good and that I wanted to collect, they... Today I wouldn't I wouldn't buy anymore. But you start to get more and more specialized in things. You start to understand, and you need to put the puzzle together of the art history. And all these things change your taste and make you evolve to different levels. In the beginning, it was more um, secure way of looking. I had an older point of view to the works. Today I evolved to more modern. Maybe I see now the difference between quality and beauty. That's a thing I didn't have before. In the beginning, you choose a beautiful paint. You say, that's nice. That's what I like. And then afterwards, after a while, you start to see, no, that's not the quality you need. That's not important enough. That's not historical enough. All these things come afterwards. So it's for experience. It's experience. Yes. Yeah. You can't start just like that and say, now I know everything. What you think at that moment, you think that you, your taste and everything you do is, is good, but it's like everything in life, you know. You always know it better 10 years later. Mm -hmm. But how can you assess or create a model that gives you the knowledge to classify experience, like to classify quality versus beauty or historical meaning and so on, if it's not something that you can study in the books? So where, where does it come from? That comes from, from life. Being an art dealer is not something you, you learn in the books. It's not something you learn in class. It's something you learn in, in your daily life. You go to a museum, you visit a certain exhibition, you go to art fair, you open up your mind and you see things there that you don't know at that time that are important, but your mind is like developing taste. And that's, that's through talking to people, being open to... For instance, you, you enter in an interior, you see why is this beautiful? Why did you do that? Or why is that exhibition important? Without knowing all these tastes, your brain is creating your um, what is important for you, like as beauty, what is important for you in art. And it's something that is always ongoing in your, in your mind without you knowing it. 
yeah, in the background unconsciously. So it sounds more like in the beginning you were relying on what you studied in the books and what you thought innately uh, that was beautiful, like aesthetic. Yeah. But then slowly it developed into a more systemic way of looking at it. So now when you buy, for example, a painting that is not important yet, such as uh, one of emergent artists, mm. so contemporary art, how do you decide whether or not you buy? Does it come from more of a, you see it and then you... Yeah, but the thing is contemporary art, that's something I'm not, I wasn't that open for. I started to deal, I had the choice between going into contemporary art And then I visited many living artists and to see if they could have a show in my gallery. And then the other choice was to do modern art, but I didn't have the money for that. So I only could do prints, smaller things. So I, afterwards, these prints evolved to drawings, to paintings, because you have much more money to buy these. If I would have chosen a contemporary artists, it would have been a different gallery. This, that's a more an art gallery. Now I'm more an art dealer. And even today, I see that my taste is going more. I, I prefer going back to the 16th century, for instance, and to Renaissance, than to to go to a contemporary uh, artist. So, I mean, that's a choice. Uh, that that's nothing that's good or bad or right or wrong. It's something that I chose for, and I believe much more in in history, and in the um, and in in museum artist than in something that is. Uh, created today and that has still to prove itself is it because of uncertainty and because it's more risky or it's because it has to do something with your own values i think it's something personal first of all it's difficult to explain why that's something personal and also because i like to go against uh, what everybody does and my generation they all went contemporary and it had to be very trendy and hipster and i thought that no no that's there's also another way and i i did i went the other way but it's it's personal it's also something a taste in your for, for yourself but the more and more i see that people are starting to go in my direction more to the classical way to the historical way and that contemporary market has evolved hugely in the last 20 years it's i will go into the the classics in, in a minute but first i would like to ask you because your gallery is specialized on modern art but sometimes you have emerging or living artists uh, having expositions at your gallery yeah i had it i had it a few times and i still have one artist that i really follow up but many times it annoyed me because you have not only to work with the art works they make but especially also with the artist and the artist has an ego a huge ego And they want a lot of things. They want this. They want to be at that place, hung like that, in that fair. And they're always asking more than they can get. It's not always easy to deal with. No, not, not the most easy and not the most kind. So is there something you look at in terms of personality, in terms of maybe shared values that you have with the artist so that you can predict the most safe way that is possible, of course, a smooth collaboration? The thing is, yeah, for sure, I don't like to work with people I don't like, but that doesn't mean that they're bad artists. That's something else. So that's why I'm not really suited for that contemporary market, because sometimes they're pain in the ass as these guys, but they're good artists. 
I have the luxury to say no, I don't, because I don't want him to call me at two o'clock in the night to tell me that he will change the exhibition and that he will do something completely different. I like to be surrounded by people with a, a good soul. <laughs> yeah, that think a little bit like I think. I mean, they don't have to be like me, but the same uh, ethical. Uh, I Even as a, a young artist, I had a painting from 19th century painting, very important piece that was worth hundreds of thousands of euros. And he wanted to make the frame for that piece, contemporary frame. And he really pushed me in doing it. I didn't, I didn't do it, but he wanted at the fair and he, he insisted on it. So I had to, I had to tell him, no, it's impossible. I will not put like an old painting in your frame. How do you decided that? Because I mean, it, it obviously it can be something risky, but it could also, you know, risky choices can, can sell well. How did you decide not to go for this extravagancy? I didn't feel it, but that that doesn't mean that it's it's a it's a correct feeling. The second thing is that he pushed it too hard. I mean, against my taste. Maybe it was a wrong choice of me of mine, but uh, I didn't feel I was able to sell to a client of mine that piece with that frame. I didn't feel confident in it. I can't sell a painting if I don't really believe in it and. That's why I always buy my own paintings. And that's when I buy it, I really believe it. That means I buy it for myself. And then I can explain to you why I bought it. And then I can transfer my feeling to you as a buyer. That's the only way. I, I can't sell paintings from someone else either. For instance, if you would give me a painting that is or too expensive or not a quality I, I like, it's impossible for me to sell it to a good client because I have to defend his interest as well. And if I will... Ex tell them things that I don't believe in wouldn't work. So I hear you're a very authentic seller. Uh, I think that the problem is when I started, uh, my, my father-in-law was in the art business. He told me, I don't think you will succeed because you're, you're too kind, too honest. You know, you have to be able, he told me, you have to sell to your brother a painting with profit. And I couldn't. I said, it's my brother. He told me, no, then you will never be a good dealer. You have to be much harder. And uh, I'm happy. I... I, I'm a little bit harder than before, but not that hard that many people are in business because many people have different ethics in uh, dealing. And I, I stayed with my kind and honest way of working. And probably I sold uh, less paintings maybe than someone else, but it worked as well. And for me, it worked. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. I would have been a different person of dealing. Yeah, so your father-in-law was wrong. <laughs> No, in, in his case, he was right because for him it worked out. He was like that and he could, sell, he could sell like ice to the Eskimos. He could do it like that. I, I can't. And everybody has to find... People have to believe you when, you when you sell them something, certainly in these amounts. What I tell to the people now, they believe me. Clients that keep coming back in your galleries, they know how you work and they come back exactly for this work ethic. Yes, because, you know, the clients you have, it's the way you are. Every gallery has its, its own type of clients. And my type of clients, they fit with me. They think who's working in a different way. And every client chooses also the gallery. Back then, it sounded like you had the rational choice that it will work out if you could be able to sell a painting by doing profit. And then you had the way you felt it was right for you by keeping your work ethic of being honest with people. So you have ratio versus feeling in contrast. So how did you disentangle 
these two contrasting beliefs into one decision that resonates with you? You have to learn out of every, every sale, out of every discussion you do with people. And um, I'm very interested in also in the psychology behind every person. And when I see someone, I try to understand how they think, how they feel about things. And it's something that came with the years. People feel also that you're maturing in that, into that. Because when you're young, people, they don't trust you. I mean, when I was 25, I couldn't sell a painting of uh, 250,000 euros, for instance, because I could tell them it's worth it and everything, but they feel that you don't know it. And they feel that you don't know how much 250 is. They feel that you don't have the experience in selling this painting. But even if you know it, you can't bring it over. You can't, uh, they don't trust. So it, every time you, you learn a little bit more and you know how to react, you make also, you make mistakes and you know, okay, here I should have, you, I should have done like this. I should have reacted like that. I was too fast or I, sh I wanted to show off too much or I wanted to, to show too much that I knew. Um, sometimes it's also good to tell them you don't know and that to show them, you know, I'm only 25. I, this is what I know and this is for sure. And the other things, the I don't know. That's much more trust than to tell them, like, no, I know everything. You have to trust me. You know, there's very few advantage in getting older, but the advantage is getting more experienced. But you make a lot of mistakes. Eh? Don't forget all these mistakes. And that's something that is important. I made a lot of mistakes also in, in discussions and in with people and with selling. And these things, I took them with me. I took them in during the night and I thought them over and I always came up with other ideas. So it, it grows very slowly. And that's something you make, you, you create in your mind. And then after, after a few years, you know, it's, it's like, it's normal. I know how to react. And sometimes when I'm with other people, they say, you shouldn't have said or you, that or you shouldn't have done this. And for me, it's normal after all these years. Mm -hmm. So when I say intuition to you, what do you understand applied to your business? Intuition is a lot of has to, a lot of to do with experience and also with talent, of course. I compared with a football player, for instance, he has to make a decision very fast to go to the left, to the right. And some people, they make better decisions. They have a better view on it. And it's because the football player is older that he knows much more how to react on situations, but also because he's talented that he knows how to react. And I think it's in business exactly the same. You're in a situation. Some people have the talent to make a good decision in the right timing, in the right moment. And if they get more and more experience, they get more trained in it, they talented in it and, and better in it. So if you can compare experience with talent, at, at the end, you know, you will be the best. But experience is something you can learn. Talent is, you know, you have it or you don't. And uh, it's something you have to be open for. Eh? For instance, intuition comes also because I thought many things over in the night, in the day. And when you think these things over, after a while, you create intuition. Mm -hmm. So it's bound to self-evaluation, self-reflection and regulation. I think for me, for part of it, yes. But you have to be able to do it as well. And you know, even if I will not, never be able to, to do something in mathematics, uh, on a top level, but the guy probably not able to, to do the social things. So you have to evolve in your capacity. Of course, you have to know what you're good in. So you spoke about talent, but it sounds to me like what you mean by talent is the talent to 
be able to process the experiences that you have and transform them into learning more than your real ability. Mm, exactly, yeah. You have to make the right choice. I, I chose to be in this part. I notice now that I can continue in this way because it's something that I'm able to do. You have to know your, your own mindset and you have to, to know your abilities before uh, choosing into life, yeah. But you are able to do much more things than one thing. I mean, maybe I would have been in the sales for houses. It would have been possible as well. But, and maybe in, um, in electronics, it wouldn't have been possible. I don't know. It's, it's, it's something that, that you have to feel for yourself. 15 and, and 25, and you do studies and then you, you check out everything. I mean, so many things that you don't like at school and that you don't know. And uh, you have to find like that small spot that you want to continue in. The, the older you get, the more specialized. I see also now in my art business, I get more and more specialized in like, maybe I'm now doing more and more like going back to 50 artists. And then maybe even when I get a little bit older, I will be doing only 20 or 10 artists, just specializing in that. And then you know exactly from that artist, you know everything. Your intuition can decide like I can, for instance, there's an artist, Wesselman. I can decide in the spot pot that I have, I'm buying it for 62,000 or, or 72 or 55. And that's something I can because I'm very specialized in that artist. And the intuition comes with the experience. But you have to, like the artist, you have to, to know why you love it. It's something that's a feeling that comes with it. And, and, and that's the intuition. But um, every five years, I see that I more and more specialized in a few things and then other things I leave behind me. So speaking about specialization, at your Brava Fair panel this mm -hmm. year, you did a solo exhibition. Yes, that's something also almost nobody does. And I did my third solo exhibition at a fair. And I do that because that way I can learn people about the artist. That's one thing. So people have a choice between 20 paintings and they can see what's the difference between a good one and another one. And they can... The second thing is for myself as well, when I buy many paintings of an artist, the prices go up. So you have a little bit of the market in your own hands and people come to you because they know that guy is buying that artist. So they bring you the paintings. And once the show is there, everybody will look at you as a specialist because people say, he knows he had so many paintings, he made a book about it. And afterwards they come with the paintings to you if they want to sell one. That's how you become more and more specialized. The disadvantage, and that's why many people don't do it, a uh, solo show, is that first of all, you miss a lot of clients because everybody who doesn't like that artist doesn't pass by. And the second thing is you need to put these artists aside. It takes years to create, to have 20 works by one artist. So you need to put a lot of money aside and you need to be very confident in that one artist. It's one shot. If you're missing, it's a, it's a big risk. So... It's always a choice that you have to make. How do you make it? <laughs> That's something I make with my, with my heart. You go for it and you defend it. Um, it's also rational. You have to think like, is it possible? Is it uh, not overpriced? Is there still potential in the future? All these things you have rational, but in the end, you make it with your heart. So if you think about the process of the decision, what comes first? Probably the heart, yes. and then you try to assess whether it's possible. It's like when you see a girl the first time, you see her and you see, 
that's someone I like very much. She's, she's beautiful. She's everything. You know, you're attracted to her. Everything is good. So that's the heart. And then you start talking to her and then you see, okay, but now she can be stupid. She can be annoying or really the energy can be good. She can be interesting, intellectual, funny. And that's also with an artist first choose with your heart. And then you go, to, you go and see, okay, but what I chose now, is there a possibility? Is this not overpriced? In whose hands is the, the, the other works? I mean, are these in museums? Is it defended by a good gallery or is it, are there still paintings on the market? Or maybe in the future, there will be someone who puts 100 paintings in one at once on the market. You know, all these things you have to, to watch out because you can buy always. And then there's a guy with 200 paintings and he puts them on the market in one year. Then your all investment goes down. So first the heart, but then you have to see rationally, okay, where are the dangers in this process and should I go for it or not? How long does it take normally to study? Some exhibition took more than 10 years that I started buying like in 2010 and I only did the exhibition 2022, for instance. 10 years is good because in paintings you bought 10 years ago, that's where the profit is. A painting that you bought one year ago, the profit is, is not yet there. But the difficulty is to keep it and to put it aside and you need a lot of cash to do that. Because you can put everything there, but you need to continue with the other artists, with your gallery. I mean, sometimes I say, what can I hang on my wall? Everything is in that exhibition, so what should I hang now? And people come to your gallery and they say, it's the same as last month. I say, yeah, okay, but they don't know what I'm doing at the site. And then you're creating an exhibition and then they, you come out with this exhibition. And everybody's like, wow, how could he do this? It's because you, you took the risk to put it aside, but it... it uh, limits you in other in other cases of course and you, you cannot do everything you cannot you cannot build up an exhibition in 10 years and then on the other hand buying for your gallery and buying another exhibition another one yeah if you're from a very rich family you can but otherwise you have to make choices did you ever have a situation where you were in conflict uh, whether or not you should go for it for example in this case Sure. No, I did many times. I, it happened very often that I had to sell paintings from that collection, sometimes good paintings, but uh, you have to replace them as soon as you can for better if, if possible. Um, and then you can do it. Otherwise, I didn't, I didn't do it. If you really have to, of course, you have to sell your paintings. But I tried to stay out of that situation because that way you just make yourself more in a, in a lower position for the exhibition. The first exhibition is the most difficult. Once you're in like, yeah, in that circle, you know, once you're there, because once you started 10 years ago collecting, every year you can continue. It's the first 10 years are the most difficult. So I passed these. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever do something that was quite irrational? Like, you know, the decision of the heart where the analysis was against the odds? I did do things with more risk than others. That's that's for sure. I did now uh, the most risky exhibition I did was uh, last year in the summer. I started collecting an artist called Patrick Nagel. Two thousand eleven, I bought my first painting, and I bought that painting for fifteen thousand dollars at that time. They gave me an offer of the paint one year later of $25,000 and I didn't sell it in 2012. I kept it and I started collecting more. 
But after a while, it was such a huge collection from an artist that nobody knew. It was an artist that was forgotten for 30 years. It was an artist from the 80s, a very rare artist. And then I had to make a choice like continuing and making my collection, making it myself more important or stopping because it was getting out of hand. It was out of control. It was too much I put in there. And without knowing that anyone would buy this ever because nothing had been at auction before, nothing had been on the market for 30 years. And I was paying every time more and more because people knew I was buying it and there were a few, two, three other people who were buying it. So the price was going up. I had to invest too much. And, but I did it. I did it because I liked it, but it was a very, very big risk. And then I did the exhibition last year and I, the price were, went up this high that I didn't think that anyone would buy it at these, these prices. And then I did my show and I made it a huge event, big party, 80s party that cost me a lot of money. I made a big book. I put everything into that because it had to work because I had so many works from that artist. I was so lucky that the press jumped on it and I had people came over and they bought it at prices I couldn't defend through auction results. I had to ask like 200,000 for a painting, 300,000 for a painting and nobody was had ever paid so much for this year once somewhere in America. But I mean, it was such a risk and my three biggest clients, they all bought a painting and the other clients followed them. Everything turned out well. It was like a big relief because uh, that way I could cash again on, on what I, I bought for like 10 years. And uh, if that wouldn't have worked, it would have been something for the really long term or I don't know how I would have uh, been able to, to make that work. So that was successful, but a little bit of luck, but it's also because you're always going to that direction. Everything you do, when you talk to the press, your clients years before, it's not something you do in two weeks. You explain them why, how you start to, to meet people as much as possible that can help you out with this. And it's, it's a process of years, but it's a big risk. It was a big risk. And everybody, my colleagues, when I started the show, they said, you know, how can you sell that to your clients for that price? I mean, nobody knows who is this guy. And now they're saying like, wow, this was a, a huge risk, but it was a big success. There's always a risk in it, but normally it, if the market goes is normal, if there's no war or no uh, specific things that make the market crash, then most of the artists I, I do are classic and are safe investments as well. And even if I don't sell it for 100, I can always sell it for 80 or 85. I mean, that's the worst case. But this artist I did, it was like 100 or 10. And that's the risk. So how do you sell? How do you know how to sell to someone then? Especially in a, in a, in a situation where you don't feel it is 100% right. I, I couldn't have done this exhibition like 15 years ago. People trust me today. It's all about trust. When I tell them something, they believe me and they want to follow me because I have been right in the past. Otherwise, it's very difficult. You know, selling art to someone, painting, you know, what's the real value of a painting? I mean, it's just oil on canvas or drawing on paper. I mean, to sell that to someone for hundreds of thousands of euros, it's about trust. Trust in me and trust in the market for the people. Nowadays, it's very transparent market. It's impossible to sell something at a 
the price is not right because people can watch, can look up everything in the computer. So when I have a painting, I can give it also to five clients maybe. Maybe I give it to you because I like you most. And that's the same for the people who buy a painting. They can buy it in five galleries, but they have to come to you because they like me most. And that's something that comes also with the years. They have to decide that you, you are worth it. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yes. For me also, I have to decide that you're worth of giving that painting to. An exchange. So interesting. So what about when you're buying from someone else? Before we pressed on play, you talked about maybe five minutes of window opportunity where you can get someone to sell you a painting sometime. How do you feel this time sensitivity? That's maybe the most difficult even because if you go to somewhere, to some place and there's a painting you want to buy, it's like a big ship you have to bring in a good position and it takes like small words and small explanations and never try to bring them in your position that they say, okay, I want to sell it for that price. It's not done in five minutes. It takes sometimes weeks or years to tell them, you know, maybe it's a good timing and I have someone, I have the right client and there's thousand things you can tell them they will say like forever no but sometimes they have like 10 minutes in their heads like, okay let's do it let's sell it and i have had the cases where i had the paint in my car and uh, that they called me during my trip back that they regretted already <laughs> sometimes you only have five or ten minutes to buy a piece and then you have to be there and you have to create that opening how do you create it it's a kind of seduction that you have to do in a way that is different with every person because sometimes you have to do it in an aggressive way, which is not my best way at all. And sometimes you have to do it in a very slow way, but sometimes you have to go fast as well. And that depends from person to person. It depends from what you are capable of. So I hear out two things. One is self-knowledge and one is understanding the person who's in front of you. That's important. I mean, both of them are experience and self-reflection and also understanding how people perceive you when you do certain things but how do you how did you develop until now the knowledge to understand the people in front of you but that's something i don't i don't i don't think i really can answer it i think the only thing what happened is that i really was interested in the psychology of every discussion i had and the psychology of people and how they think and so i'm interested in it so i try to learn from every position and every uh, moment it's not something I can write down. It's something that came through the years and that came maybe more for me than for someone else. And probably there are even much, much better psychologists than, than I am. So it depends on every person. The only thing I see is that the people I work with and I deal with and I buy from and I sell to, it's people I can agree with and that I, there's also always a good understanding and a respect from one to another. And many people, they want to sell me something and I don't feel them. I will never buy from them. And if I would do it, there's always a problem because it doesn't match with my way of thinking. They will ask things I don't want to answer. They will do things I don't want to do. Does it stay consistent? So if the way someone talks to you once so that they convince you to sell him a painting or buy a painting from him, does it stay consistent over the years? So is it consistent for the people? Yes. When I go to a fair, for instance, at certain galleries, I will buy a painting. Another gallery will go in and he will have, he has the most beautiful piece. And I ask him what's the price and I already don't feel like buying it anymore. And I'm like, I don't want to give my money to that guy. And 10 years later, it will be the same. I mean, 
there's nothing nothing changes uh, you have the connection or you don't where do you think do you feel it in in your body so if you have to if you had to place a spot <laughs> yeah you say in your heart but you don't feel it in your heart it's in my mind i think yeah everything is playing in the mind so you never had bodily sensation to do something because earlier you said in your gut <laughs> yeah in my heart or in my stomach even it's possible but that's more that's more something romantic for instance in the stomach you see someone and you feel in business it's more an energy you have an interaction um i must i must admit that i have a good feeling in people who i want to work with and who i don't want to work with There's so many people certainly when you start when you're young they come first to you all these sharks that they, they want to take advantage of you they come first and i i never went into their direction i never went with them because of the money they try to take you somewhere and in the beginning you say okay let's 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 take it because it and i didn't do it i was very lucky because at the end they it's them who take advantage of you and not the opposite and that's something you feel i think you feel it in in the head did you ever go against this feeling and someone that you couldn't really feel and really feel right you can try it but it, it in the end it's always like trouble annoying just now when you ask I did and that's a guy every time I see him I said no not with him it's always annoying and the last time he was there he wanted to buy something from me and he, and then he did he bought something after a long discussion I was already annoyed and then in the evening just before I went to sleep he called me said you know I'm not sure about it maybe and no I, I i don't think i will do it just before i went to sleep so he made me think the whole night about it because it's not a time you don't call someone at 11 o'clock in the evening to tell him no after consideration let's not take the work you know i was angry i was annoyed you know and that that energy i took into the night so it took me hours before i fell asleep and then again i was thinking you know how stupid was i to work with that guy you know i shouldn't have done it because now i'm losing another night because of him and i didn't do anything and maybe the, the day after he called me to tell okay let's let's do it i told him no forget about it you know don't take my time and my energy so you didn't do it i didn't do it it didn't fit he took too much energy too much energy for one deal I could I could, you can sell it also to people who are happy and who call you the day after to say you know it's hanging here I love it it's fantastic thank you very much you know that gives good energy <laughs> So you speak a lot about energy what do you think that energy is But it's an interaction between two people I think it's something you send to me and I accept and I send to you and you accept and if both is positive then it's, it gives a good feeling but i can take your energy as well i can be around with you the whole day and that you come home in the evening and you say this was a heavy day you know i he took all my energy you know i don't feel I, you have people like that and on the on the other hand it could be that we are the whole day together and in the evening you say you know i feel so good because he gave me so such a good energy we had such a good time it depends on how two people interact and i like to be surrounded by people with who give me a good energy i feel it when i sell a painting for instance and someone is happy for it really happy I said wow or someone is happy but jealously happy you know and that's a different energy and i don't want to be with the people who are jealous and who try to take my client or try to break the painting down afterwards or 
I had, for example, experiences where my first impression was of a very positive energy and then well, throughout the interaction, you see that it doesn't quite fit. For example, because of trauma or because yeah. the interaction you have doesn't give the other person what they what they need from you. So what do you think is in the mind and what do you think is this initial energy and how do they interact? But it's because it's because you get disappointed after a while, you know. It's, it's an interaction between two people who uh, feel from each other that they don't, uh, that they're not as they expected to be. It can be romantically, it can be professionally. It's also defense mechanism. I mean, there are things that you know that will be annoying for the rest of your life. If you get in touch with these after a while, you have to change your energy. So not always trust your first impression. No, no, that, that's that's for sure. But the first impression is is something that has to be there, and it's a start. And if you don't have that one, it's also already very difficult. It doesn't mean you don't have to trust it, but you have to be aware that it's possibly not correct. People see things differently. If you're in love, like one artist, and you you're in love with a painting, it's different for for the peop the person who looks at it than for someone else. And I have to pick out these people when they're in my booth at a fair that look at a painting and they're in love with it. And these people, I, I have to convince, not someone who's there and it doesn't. Thank you. Perfect last final considerations. Now I will end this interesting discussion with three questions that you have to answer very quickly. Okay, ask me. What is the painting that's hanging at home for the longest? It's, uh, it's Dottremont, you know, poet who has started drawing has a lot of context the painting it's something that i liked already 20 years ago and is still there nowadays i'm even the specialist of that artist so people start to ask me certificates and papers and i'm making preparing a book from in 10 years about this this artist it's uh, beautiful it has a balance in it that's i can see and i can feel but also because of the why he made it because of the words because of the poetry okay so second question, Yes. what is the one item of sentimental value lying on your desk? Like it can be music as well, I mean, but you, you don't have it on your desk, but that you can link to to specific part in your life. You can he listen to it for another 50 times, but you're always in your mind, you're always opening up a drawer. It brings you back to that moment. And that's something fantastic about about music it's also in smell you can have that for instance a perfume can bring you back to that person at school when i was young i went there like 30 years afterwards i went to that school i came in and my smell opened immediately in my mind i went back to that period and that's how i can have that with music some music is for if i, if I make it listen to my kids for instance i say this is a fantastic song for you it is i mean not for them it's because it brings you back to your period. Some some songs bring me back to my youth where I had no trouble at all. Last question. If you went back to a moment of crisis, for example, when your cave caught on fire, now in retrospect, what would be the one advice you will give to yourself? I think I reacted well. I mean... Um, the first reaction is, of course, is uh, panic, and uh, but there were other people involved. I mean, and many people had to go to the psychologist to get over it because they lost so much money. And um, 
after it took me one week, exactly one week, and I, I turned here, I made a click and I said, you know, it's only money. It's it's something and you have to put everything in proportion. Yes, in context. I mean money it's very important, but at that moment you have to be able to tell yourself, you know, you can make it's gone. I mean, that's that's the most important that not overthinking things and over amplifying because that way you're you can break about it and Everybody has this break point, of course, but you have to put it as low as possible and to forget about some things uh, in, in everything. It's also in, in love, it's in life, it's in business. Sometimes you have to leave it behind you. And uh, if you can do that, then you can continue life. When I go to, to the supermarket, I can say, oh, this is an expensive bottle of wine. I can say, yeah, but you know, I lost so much money. <laughs> the wine is nothing. You just have to continue with your normal life and forget about some sometimes the, the importance it was before and, and you know, put it in perspective. That's very important. Okay. Perfect ending on, on a deep note. <laughs> Thank you so much. For me too. Ooh, winning insights into this thriving world of art dealing opened up a new perspective to me. Let me know what it did to you in the reviews. Yet, independent of the industry, one thing is clear. The higher the stakes, the more it really comes down to winning the customer's trust. And when you're authentic, honest, and really self-identify with the product or service you're offering, that's the best possible way to build a sustainable business. So believe in yourself and your ideas. Go to the podcast page and leave me a star review to support the growth of the podcast. And see you in 10 days' time. Are you ready to crack the next subconscious code? See you soon.